Good morning. Welcome. We're glad that you're here. It's a brisk morning to get up to. Uh, winter is around the corner. We're glad to be in this place this morning, and I hope you've had a good week. If not, maybe next week will be better. But regardless, um, the Lord is on His throne, and we are thankful to serve the living God and be citizens of uh, citizens of heaven. The Bible says when we are in Christ. If you're new to us, welcome today. If this is your first time, if you're a returning guest, we're, yeah, we're glad you're here and hope you don't stay a guest too long. Uh, we have starting point today. If you can hang out after this service, we'd love to get to know you better and you know us. We have a lunch prepared for those of you who are guests and it's called starting point. We're done by 1.30, quarter to two, just giving an overview of our church and who we are and we'd like to get to know you better, so feel free to hang around, stay with us for lunch in the hub right next to the next room over afterwards. We'd love for you to do that. Everybody, if you take a moment and fill out a connection card from on your bulletin and put it in the basket when it's passed later on today, we appreciate that so much. We're here for a number of reasons, really. I mean, I think people come to church for different reasons. You know, they, they, uh, some, some people, because they grew up in the church, it's habit. I hope it's more than habit. It's a good habit, but I hope it's more than that. Some people come because life's uh, just uh, a bum deal right now, and they need some place for some hope. Uh, some of you are here just out of deep love for Christ and, and appreciating Him. We want to grow in our motivation all the time to be together. He is worthy of our worship. The psalmist in Psalm, I think, 26 said, O Lord, how I love your house, the place where your glory dwells. I love that line. Because when David was writing that, it was about an actual physical temple, the holy of holies, the glory of God. But in the church age, it's his people. God has chosen to dwell in his people, and we are his house. We are the temple of God, the Bible teaches us, and it's through, through the church the glory of God is made known. So, we love, we love the place where God lives, his people. We love it that he's chosen through us for his glory to be made known. So when we come together, we're preparing to do that better. Let's pray as we continue today. God in heaven, thank you for being our mainstay and our rock, our fortress, our friend, our counselor, our guide, our light, our hope, our life. We thank you, Father, that you have rescued us from our sins. And it's not that we know we don't sin anymore. We certainly do. But we've come under the blood of Jesus Christ, and that makes all the difference. And we want to do better for you, Father. So thank you for living inside of us. Thank you for empowering us to live the life you've called us to live. Thank you for this brief time we have together. I pray we'll use it well. In Jesus' name, amen. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13. Tonight is our annual congregational meeting at 6 o'clock. If that interests you, it's the business side of church. And that means we do two things. We affirm our new leaders, or our leaders for the new year, and we affirm our budget for 2017. That's in the sanctuary at 6 o'clock tonight, if that's something that interests you. I'll look at only the first three verses of 1 Corinthians 13. <clears throat> if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, and give myself over to hardship, that I may boast, but do not have love, 
I gain nothing. Now, if we read these first few verses, they go into love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, does not boast. I mean, we expect to see flower girls and bridesmaids suddenly appear because we're so accustomed to this passage being read at weddings, especially verses 4 through 7 that describe what, what real love looks like. But when Paul wrote this correspondence to the church at Corinth, it wasn't to be used in weddings, although it's a good place to use it. He wrote it to a church of people and to us today, people who want to be sure that our service to the Lord is pleasing to him. T.S. Eliot, the poet, in one of his poems, asked a penetrating question. Of all the things that matter, what matters most? Now, if you're a reflective, contemplative type person, that question will dog you all your life. It happens to high school and college students who are bombarded with class assignments and reading to do and writing to do, with career choices to make, part-time jobs to uphold, extracurricular activities to be involved with, friendships just to enjoy. And you, you look at all you have to do and you wonder, well... You know, what, what do I focus on? What, what, what matters the most in all of this? It happens for those of us when we're raising our children. I mean, let's face it, you could hound your kid every hour about something, right? And in parenting, you have to figure out what matters the most. What things should I just let go and what things should I address? When it comes to work, you can face your work week and become overwhelmed with everything to be done. And then your boss puts more on you. And you think, what do they expect? And you wonder, how in the world am I going to get all this done? And you have to decide. If you walked over to one of our high schools and asked teachers, of all the subjects that are taught here in this school, which ones do you think matter most? Well, you know what they're going to say. They're going to pick the one that they, pick, that they teach. Every teacher thinks their subject is the most important one. If you ask our staff, if you go and you ask, well, of all the ministries of the church, which is the most important? Well, you go to Josh Masterman, he'll say, well, adult discipleship is. Because if you don't have solid adults, you're going to be in problem, trouble in the church. But go across the hall, the children's center, ask Billy Haskins, he'll say, well, kids' ministry is the most important, duh. You have to have kids that are growing, you don't have any future. Well, then you talk to Mark Proctor, and he said, well, worship's the most important thing there is. You talk to Riley Weaver, well, global outreach is the most important. If you're not having, don't have a missions program, I mean, you see the point. It just goes on and on and on. And out of that, you can get so frustrated and you think, you know, what matters most? The Corinthians were disheveled as a church, and that's an understatement. And about any subject of church life, they were a mess. They were arguing, they were divided. In the matter of gifts and service, they were envious of one another, they put different values on different gifts. So there was division that way. The different, different men who were leading the church had different levels of charisma and influence. And so they were divided over who to follow. And there was division that way. And so when Paul writes this letter, chapters 12, 13, and 14 deal with this matter of gifts. Of giftedness and how they're to be exercised. And right smack dab in the middle, he says... I show you the most excellent way. And that is the way of love. And that's why he writes chapter 13, to bring love into the mix of our service. Now, for these last three Sundays, we've been dealing with our service to one another in the church, the local body, the body of Christ. 
I've said before, out of our teaching of Scripture, if we're not serving one another in the body, there's part of the body that's paralyzed. It's not doing its work. It's not as healthy as it could be. Everybody who's a Christ follower and associated with a certain local congregation needs a ministry to perform, to make that body better. If you're not doing your part, however small or great it may be, it's not as healthy. And that's why we spent these four weeks together. But today, it's all about the right motivation. Because you can come out of a sermon series and feel guilted into serving. That's not healthy. You can be shamed into it. You can be manipulated into it. And the point is, Paul says, there's got to be love. So our service is worthless, or we could say our service is worthless if not done in love. So Paul imagines somebody at first who can speak all the languages of the earth. I remember when Diana and I toured Salzburg, Austria, we had a tour guide on this uh, large van. There were probably 10 people or 12 people. I think there were five nations represented, and the tour guide spoke fluently all five of them, went back and forth from languages. I couldn't believe how he could speak. I, there were... There were um, I read once of a man who could speak 30, who could read 34 different languages, and he could speak half of them. You know, people have always jokingly said, you can know an American, because Americans always speak one language. You know, uh, we're prideful about that sometimes. Uh, Paul imagines a man who could speak every language on the face of the earth. But he says, without love, he's like a gong. Or a symbol. When I go to the symphony, I am mesmerized by the percussion section of all the, of all the sections. I love, well, even here, I'm more drawn to Brian playing those drums or Adam playing those drums and any other instruments. Sorry, bass guitars, but that's where I'm drawn, right over there. There's something about drums. Now, I love drums, I love cymbals, I love gongs, but, but without, alone, there's no music at all. I'm so glad none of my kids wanted to be drummers. Not much music in that. This gong uh, that Paul talks about, the the Greek word is chalkos, and it's the kind of gong that was in the pagan temple of the day that they used, and they beat that, uh, and and, uh, moving people into a worship frenzy in in their pagan worship, just noise, just noise, creating nothing. He says, he says, you know, it's like that. Uh, there was one highly gifted preacher. They said of him that when he preached, when, they, when he preached, they never wanted him to stop preaching. But when they talked to him personally and were exposed to his caustic nature, they hoped he would never preach again. It's for that reason that Jonathan Edwards, a preacher from previous generation, wrote, I'm determined to preach no sermon or even to write one unless I am motivated by the glory of God and love for those to whom I speak. Hear it well. Without love, our gifts accomplish nothing. He goes on in verse 2 to mention things that he himself, Paul, would care about. He says, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. So here's a man who has all this knowledge. Have you known people like that? I have a brother-in-law, Dave Thurman. He's on, the, he's on the staff at Mount Gilead Church in Mooresville. That guy knows everything. I've never met anybody 
more with a vast knowledge. I mean, he, if, if, if the subject is rock groups, he will quote hits by Led Zeppelin. Or, or contemporary artists who are on the top 10 billboard hits. If we talk about nations, he knows about different people groups of the world I've never heard of. If we talk Super Bowl, he can tell you who played in the Super Bowl, which years, and who won. If it's the World Series, he talks about batting averages and who pitched the winning game. Makes me sick. <laughs> I'd make a good Corinthian, you know, because I'm so interested. It comes to the Bible. He knows the Bible backward and forward. He just, he can quote scripture and verse, chapter, on about any subject you want to talk to, talk about. He's, he's an amazing guy when it comes to knowledge. You maybe have known people that way. Now, Dave's, Dave's got wisdom too. I've known people that have a lot of knowledge, but they can't give you a change for a $10 bill. So it's not too impressive. Here, this, this guy that Paul writes about, you know, he has all this knowledge in other words, he, he knows the tension between sovereignty of God and human will, free will. He knows where that tension is. He understands end times. Any theological question you could bring up, you know, he'd know an answer to. That's, that's who this guy is. He's a great communicator. That he, even has, he even has faith to move mountains. In other words, he's great at being a visionary, and he can motivate people to see that the vision comes about. He would be an establisher of, of mission organizations and great leadership seminars. Yet it's nothing if there's no love. Anybody have a $50 bill with them? I mean, I'm serious. Anybody have a $50 bill? Nobody in this crowd? Oh, your debit card. I knew the old guy would. John Lee. Do you have, do you have a $50 bill, John? Give it to me. I want your $50. Give me your $50 bill. See, you have to be an older guy to carry money. I don't got, but I'm an older guy. I, don't, I, I use plastic everywhere, my debit card. I, I'm not very good at having cash. It gets hacked. Oh, you sound like an untrusting senior citizen. That's what you sound like. Okay, just give me the money, okay? Don't, I don't want to debate. I just want cooperation, okay? All right, thanks, John. Really appreciate that. All right, here's this $50 bill. Now, this $50 bill, we don't know exactly where it's been, but let's just pretend where it's been, all right? So we have a $50 bill, and let's say there's a local mom-and-pop hardware store, so you need a tool. So you go down there, and you, 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 you pay with this $50 bill, and you give it over, they put it, they put it in the register, and then the owner of that mom-and-pop hardware store uh, hires a handyman to do something. He can't get to it all, so this guy needs some help, so here, do some jobs for me, pays him with 50 bucks, sends him on his way. So that guy's happy to get that because he's on empty. So he gets his old dilapidated truck, then he goes down the street, and he uh, puts uh, gas in the car, he pays with the $50 bill, goes in the register. And so the manager of that uh, that gas place knows that it's, uh, it's time to get that light fixed, and so he takes some money out to pay the guy that's coming to fix the light. So he gives the, 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 turns it over. And that guy, that electrician, goes home, and he realizes he needs to pay his landlord his rent. So he takes his $50 bill, he puts it with some other $50 bills, $100 bills, he pays the landlord the rent. 
the landlord goes home and he knows his, he loves his daughter. She's at the University of Cincinnati and she's short on some money. And so he says, I think I'll send 50 bucks to her. And so he puts it in an envelope, sends it to his daughter whom he loves, puts a note, use it as you wish. She needs some textbook, a textbook. So she goes to the, the, the bookstore and she buys a textbook and uh, she's so happy to get that. The textbook person puts it in the register. It's collected with all the other money that night. It's taken to the bank, deposited. The bank puts it through the county machine and lo and behold, that's a counterfeit $50 bill. Now, that counter, that bill has gone through a lot of hands. It's done a lot of different kinds of things. But when it landed at the place that determines its true value, it's worthless. In the same way, we can do a lot of good. We can do a lot of good things. Anybody want to go to lunch? (laughs) It can do a lot of good things. But the only way its value is truly determined is before the throne of God. And if our service hasn't been rendered in a spirit of love, it is valueless. That's what Paul is trying to teach us here. So, he says, we ourselves, if not ministered out of love, we ourselves are nothing. And then he goes a step further. He says, not only do our gifts accomplish nothing, not only... Do, do they make, make us nothing? But he says, if I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. So here's a person terribly concerned about the poor, will give money to things, even goes so far as to surrender his body to the flames. Now the text I said, the translation said hardships. Uh, older texts say flames. I'm not sure which is the best translation scholars debate on which word is the best one to use. If it's flames, then Paul may be, re- may be thinking about the three Hebrews that went in the fiery furnace in the Old Testament. Remember? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Or maybe he's referred, referring to the slaves of his day where if you were a, a friend of a slave and you wanted a slave to go free, you could stand in his place so he could go free and then you burned into your hand would be an insignia that shows what you did. And certainly there have been lots of people who were put to death by flames through the years. Or there have been all kinds of hardships that, have been, that people have endured for the sake of the gospel. He says, here's a person that does all of that. But if I sacrifice my very life without love for God, I gain nothing. Now Luke chapter 10. In Luke chapter 10, we meet again these dear sisters. And here's the scene, verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care? that my sister has left me to do the work by myself, tell her to help me. Martha, Martha. I don't, like, I don't know how Jesus said that. Did he say, Martha, Martha? Or did he say, Martha, Martha? Martha, Martha. You know, I don't know. I don't know how he said it. I can't hear it. It's different every time. The Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. 
Now, when I read about these sisters, I always think about my two great aunts in, uh, outside Richmond, Kentucky. They're with the Lord now, but they lived in a pre-Civil War built house, put together with wooden pegs, no running water until the 70s. And uh, we'd go there every year to visit. We watched boxing with them at night, and they'd scream watching boxing. They were funny little ladies. They, they had never been married before. They were as dear as, as they come. And uh, they were such workers and made us feel at home. And Aunt Mamie and Aunt Beulah. Now, that just sounds like Kentucky down home, doesn't it? And uh, they, 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 they had the best food ever. If you have relatives in Kentucky, you know what great cooks Kentuckians are. And everything was creamed. The peas were creamed. The, the potatoes were creamed. Everything was creamed. And the coffee cream was so thick, you had to spoon it into your coffee. It was so thick. I remember that. And, uh, and they had this rhythm about them. And I think of Mary Martha because Beulah and Mamie, you know, one would go in the kitchen. Like Mamie was in charge of the biscuits. So she'd roll out the biscuits, best biscuits in the world. And she'd go out and get those all ready. And then she'd come down and sit down with Beulah who was talking to us. And just about a minute later, Beulah would sneak up and she'd go out and do her little park cream and everything, you know. And then Mamie'd come back in after Beulah came back. They had this rhythm back and forth to make sure this food was perfect. And it was. I think of Mary Martha like that. These two dear friends of Jesus who lived there with their brother Lazarus that Jesus would later raise from the dead. And here they probably had a rhythm, but it was a different kind of rhythm. They all had different kinds of lists. If Mary were writing her list out, the to-do list for the meal, you know, she'd probably throw some stuff in a crock pot and put something in the end at the last minute and we'd just sit down and have it, you know. She's good with that. Enough's enough. We'll feed him. It'll be good. But, but I, I, I want to I want, I want have a conversation with Jesus. Martha, on the other hand, everything has to be perfect. It's got to be the best. If it's not, she's the kind that if the bottom of the biscuits is a little too brown, well, I'm just not going to have people anymore. It's just the whole dinner's ruined. The biscuits are overdone. Are you like that? If one thing's, oh, you don't cook, you said. Well, uh, no, no, no. I don't know why I said that. Anyway, the, the, Martha's the one who has so many things on the list, and you can, see, you, can, you can feel the temperature rising, and it's not just the oven temperature, if you know what I mean. Martha, the Bible says, has gotten distracted. Now, in the Middle Ages, they really abused this text. They made this be... Uh, Martha be somebody who rep represents secular life and Mary the spiritual life or the ministry life. That if you really love Jesus, you'll listen to his call to ministry and do it. But if you're going to be like Martha, you're just going to stay with your secular life and you won't, you won't do and obey the Lord's call on your life. And people would use that to constrain people to go into full-time Christian ministry. Well, that was, that's a great distortion of the text, uh, but you could see how people would be manipulated using it that way. That's not what this is about at all. Martha very much loves Jesus. She does love him. She's serving him, and she's busy. In every church, we have Marthas, and we're glad. There are, most surveys show that 20% of a church membership does 80% of the work. Now, whether that's true in this church, I don't know. I hope it's better than that. Yet what happens to Martha's over time is their service squeezes life out of them. And they do the things that have to be done 
but there's no real substance in it as far as their heart goes. Because our service to the Lord ought to help shape us into looking like Christ. It's a part, it's a part of the way, it's partly the way we become like Jesus in the service. Why? Because the key verse in our whole text on the cover of your bulletin every week is the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So that's, our, that's our model verse. And Martha, on the surface, seems to be doing it, but she's gone, she's out of bounds. She's gone too far. Her service has ended up being unacceptable. And really what's happened, friends, she's not doing this so much out of love for Jesus anymore as for her own self-satisfaction. She's serving herself more than she is Jesus. Now, how do you know? And by the way, you know... Um, we tried to bring a challenge this month, these four weeks. If you're not serving the body of Christ, you need to take care of that. It's part of your health, your maturity in the Lord. And I, that's, not, that's not me trying to get people to fill jobs. It's not about that. If you, if you volunteer to, to minister somewhere in the body of Christ here, but it's not love, I'm telling you, you're, you're not ready to serve then. But if you say you love the Lord, if you say you're thankful, then it ought to be seen by the service that you do. So Mary's been involved in the night and getting the supper ready, but she's the kind that says, let's keep a balance here. So she's a worshiper of Jesus at his feet, learning from him, but she's also been a part of getting the day ready as well. How do you know if you're a Martha? How do you know if your service has ended up being not acceptable because love isn't there? Well, the first, one, first indication is there's inner turmoil. There's inner turmoil. Jesus says to her, Martha, you are worried and upset. Now, that word, Greek word worried means you're torn to pieces. You are fractured. It's a picture of all these pieces that aren't going together. They, they, they don't fit. Upset, that Greek word, is kind of a word picture of a ship that is capsized and it's being driven by the current and has nothing to say about its movement and where it's going. That's where Martha is in her spirit. And before you know it, before you know it, you know, she... She, she's out of control. Mary, Jesus says, Mary's got this one thing she cares about. Martha, you have 30 non-negotiables. And you have, that's too many. That shouldn't be there. You look like the committed one, but in fact, Martha, you have all this inner disharmony and you're falling apart inside and there's no glorifying of me in that. She's ambitious for Jesus. There's so much going on, but so much so that she misses him. Second of all, you get irritable. There's irritability when love isn't there like Martha. She's irritable with somebody else in the room who's not pulling her weight. That happens to people who have great passions in ministry. You have a passion about something, and you get excited. You tell somebody else, and they don't, they don't join you. And you think, how could, you be, how could these people be Christian and not doing what I want to do? See, so everybody has, but we can't operate that way. If we all had the same passion, not much would be accomplished. You see, God calls you to a ministry that's different from somebody else. And so not everybody is to join you in your passion because they're called to a different kind of passion. We face that in global missions and outreach all the time. We're bombarded with requests from different, very worthy mission efforts in the world, and we can't support them all. 
And it wouldn't be a right to give $100 to all of them. It wouldn't make much difference. And that's why we have to hone in on just a few and do it really well to do better in a larger way in specific places. That's how it has to be in life as well, you know. So be careful. When you have a passion, you know, there'll be others who join you. But if others don't, don't criticize them because they have to be called to the same passion. But the worst thing is there was suspicion. There was suspicion. And without love, that happens. And where's the suspicion directed? It's directed to Jesus. It's he, she says, Lord, don't you care? Those three things, turmoil, irritability, and then suspicion. Lord, don't you care? Suddenly, Jesus, the one who ought to see what's going on and get Mary off her rear end to get in the kitchen is not doing it. He doesn't care about all the effort I'm putting out for you to have a good supper. So she's very suspicious and questioning of him. And suddenly, it's obvious that Martha is doing all this for her glory and not his. And, and I think Jesus, when Jesus says, Mary has found this one thing, I think what he's trying to say is, look, Martha, you've put all this on yourself. Everybody has the same amount of time in every day. And if there is more in your life than you are able to do, you have put that on yourself. That wasn't me that did that. Don't blame me for that. That's such a good principle to remember in life, friends, that you are in charge of your own life. And we're all made differently. I marvel at preachers, uh, great preachers who have mega-sized churches with ten and 20,000 members. They speak at conferences. They write books. They preach on Sundays. Some of them write music too. I'm thinking, come on, how do they do all that? I'm a slow producer. There is no way, even if I was gifted to do those things, that, that, I, that, I, that I could. I'm a slow producer. Other people are able to produce very, very quickly. Some people can't focus more than one or two things because they get, they get fried. They just can't focus on two. There are other people that I know, they can have eight plates spin at once and keep them all going. They're gifted that way. That's the way they're made. Praise God for them. We just can't compare ourselves with each other. All we're responsible for is serving the body of Christ in the name of Jesus in a spirit of love. That's what we're responsible. To somehow be involved in the coming of Jesus, his return, by my involvement in ministry in the body of Christ, and also be sitting at his feet, loving his word. See, Martha's and time usually find themselves without time to be at Jesus' feet. There's no time to reflect on his word. There's no time to be alone with him. And they substitute service for being in the word. Life is squeezed out. Love matters most. And the answer is not, is not you know, quit. Well, I've been doing this, but I'm not doing it for love reasons, so I might as well just quit. No, it means get back to the right motivation. Keep serving, but make sure you're doing it for the right reason. If you're not serving, find a place. Now, remember next week, if you don't know what to do, let us help you. We have people ready to walk with you. And so let us know. Some of you have turned in your name. You want to serve. We're going to be walking with you. Next week, if you want to know more, there's a lunch after this hour, the Lunch and Learn with Kevin Carr, and he will just walk with you and just examine and think through the possibilities and how you can best be used. Let us know you want to come to that, and we want to be ready for that. Of all things, love matters most. Some of you take notes. Some of you like the uh, insert and you fill in the blanks. You like that. Some of, you, some of you doodle so other people will think that you're taking notes. 
Um, but you know, you take that and you just write a bunch of zeros. And that's all you have. You fill that page with zeros doodling, and what do you have at the end? Still zeros. You have nothing. And all you have to do is put a one in front of one zero, and then you have a value of 10. Before two zeros, you have a value of 100. Before six, you have a value of a million. That one, that, that, that one digit, one, makes all the difference. And so it is with love, friends. It's all nothing until it's out of love that we give. I trust that's how you serve I have to keep myself in check all the time about that, and I, and I fail often. I, I serve out of wrong reasons sometimes, and I've had to ask God's forgiveness. I've had to get that intact. It's a hard thing to keep intact, but we have to get back there all the time, else it will be, will be lame before the Lord, and we'll have nothing to show him of our lives. I'm in awe when I look at you and all the gifts that you all have. When I know what you do in vocation, what you do in service here, I'm blown away by what God does with just ordinary people who work together for the glory of God. He's put us together for that reason, for the very reason. Love God and love each other. And one of the ways we show that is by serving each other in the way that we serve the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for being our rock and mainstay, our Lord, our life, our light. And Father, please forgive us when we have served out of guilt or duty or shame or to get you to love us or to somehow prove ourselves, to prove our worth. Please forgive us. For the cross already tells the story. You died for us. You died in our place, which shows our worth and our value. Now, out of that, how can we not serve you the king of our lives. So, Father, continue to bind us together and make us one as we learn to serve one another in love. In Jesus' name we pray.